millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What still no ceasefire? The massacres continue. World War II style footage emerges. Now that Israel has withdrawn from Gaza City of field executions of dozens, scores, maybe hundreds of young boys killed in cold blood, shot in the back, shot in the back of the head. And a full-scale massacre is currently taking place in the southern city of Khan Yunus, to which Palestinians were told three months ago to flee because all of their foes were in the north of Gaza. That whack-a-mole continues right now in the gates of Rafa, where the town bloated by tens of thousands of people living under plastic sheeting and rudimentary tents are waiting for the juggernaut to roll in. Egypt, meanwhile, has erected tall fences, barbed wire, and even a wall between themselves and the suffering Palestinian people. And though Israel has been digging shallow graves for Palestinians, it's dug a very big, deep grave for the presidency of Joseph Biden, whose ratings fell again today and who's now a whopping 5% nationwide down on Donald Trump. If you look at the swing states, the margin is much larger than that. Oh, and the entire future of British politics now turns on the by-election in the city of Rochdale in the northwest of England. You may not know Rochdale. Many of you, you're going to know it by the end of the month. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. The massacres in the Gaza Strip, 25 miles long, and at its narrowest, five miles wide, will never be forgotten. As I said, the Palestinians are in shallow graves, but Zionism and the state of Israel has dug a deep grave for its own reputation and an even deeper one for the presidency of Joe Biden. No matter when the firing ceases, and there's absolutely no sign of that. Those that refused to call for one, those that refused to force one when they had it in their power to do so will never be forgotten. They are just as culpable as the people pulling the triggers, as the people pressing the buttons that rain down death and destruction on people in a cage. This wasn't shooting fish in a barrel. This was incinerating, eviscerating human beings in a cage with nowhere to run, with nowhere to hide. And those that shipped the weapons there in double quick time, the United Kingdom amongst them from their base in Cyprus, 
those that conducted the intelligence overflights, the United Kingdom amongst them, which has flown dozens of such intelligence flights over Gaza, the better to target the Israeli bombs and rockets, are just as guilty as the pilots that sent the bombs and the rockets raining down overwhelmingly on women and children. More than 70% of the more than 100,000 casualties in this three months of hell, this quarter from hell, were women and children. And more than half of the dead in these three months have been children. I think it's safe to say that never, certainly in modern times, by which I mean since the dark ages, has any war anywhere taken a toll of so many children. More children are being murdered every day in the Gaza Strip, even than were murdered at Treblinka, at Auschwitz, at Belsen, and the other horror death camps of the Nazi Holocaust, which took the lives of tens of millions of people, six millions of them Jewish people, whose extermination was the goal of the Nazi brutes and their facilitators and their allies. That Holocaust was brought to an end by the Red Army of the then Soviet Union, the successor state of which is Russia. And that's why Russia was not invited to the anniversaries of the liberations of those camps. The Germans, whose camps they were, were invited as honored guests. The Ukrainians, who guarded those camps for the Nazi beasts, were honored guests also. The Poles, who actually built the camps for the Nazis, were honored guests and hosts of these liberation ceremonies. The people who ended it all were not welcome on that voyage. Just think about that. We'll talk later to Afsin Ratansi about the state of affairs in Ukraine, in Russia, in the great proxy war still raging there between NATO and the Russian Federation. But back to Gaza, back to Palestine for a moment. There is all kind of talk of ceasefire. People who told us that a ceasefire would be entirely wrong. 10, 20, 30,000 casualties ago are now saying they want a ceasefire. They'll have to explain if and when there ever is a ceasefire, why exactly at what point they decided a ceasefire was no longer a capitulation to Hamas and now was the right thing to call for. But it will not, of course, end this suppurating sore. That's why I find some reluctance inside me, in my own conscience, to be enthusiastic about the slogan, ceasefire now. Of course, I want a ceasefire now, because all these children and their mothers and their fathers, their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their brothers, their sisters, their sons and their daughters, I feel are a part of me as a human being who has spent many, many, many days in the very Gaza Strip, now eviscerated, now obliterated. But a ceasefire is not enough. 
There has to be an end to the war. There has to be an end to the occupation. There has to be a settlement for the national rights of the Palestinian people, or all of this will go on happening again. I've been reviewing for electoral purposes some of the speeches I gave in 2006 in the Israeli invasion of Lebanon, in 2008 in cast led the first wholesale genocidal effort by Israel in Gaza. Speeches in 2012, 2014, 2018, over and over and over again, these genocidal, frenzied, unhinged attempts to exterminate the Palestinian people, or at least their presence in Palestine, anywhere, are as regular as clockwork. And I know because I used to be the one to whom it fell to lead the relief efforts, organizing convoys of aid, going through hostile countries, fighting our way into the Gaza Strip, fighting against Arab dictatorship most of the time in the case of Hosni Mubarak's Egypt, but not he alone. The truth is, a ceasefire which breaks down in a week, a ceasefire which leads to nothing, a ceasefire which continues the state of siege with the electricity, the water, the means of life entirely controlled by the Israeli occupation army is no solution to this problem at all. And I guarantee, moreover, that there will be more resistance. I was asked by a journalist today if I condemned uh, the Palestinian resistance I said, if I were alive and you were asking me this question in the 1940s, if I condemned the resistance of the Marquis, the French resistance against the illegal, violent, foreign military occupation of their country, you wouldn't dare ask me that question. You want me to condemn the partisans in Yugoslavia, in Italy? You want me to condemn the resistance fighters in Greece? What would we do if there was a foreign, military, violent, illegal occupation of our own country? We would fight it. Well, some would be out selling financial services to the occupier, no doubt. But any decent British person would be doing whatever they could, even if it was just to curse this in their heart or to condemn it with their lips. But those who could would be raising their hand, their fist, their weapon, whatever weapon they could get to expel the foreign invader from their land. That's all that the Palestinian people are doing. And moreover, they are acting entirely lawfully in doing so. International law guarantees to them the right to resist foreign occupation of their land, their homes, and in defense of their families. It doesn't grant the illegal occupier any rights at all. In fact, it places obligations on the foreign occupier, obligations which have been entirely, in total, from A to Z, 
breached and made mockery of by the state of Israel, which continues to sit in the United Nations, which continues to have the warmest, most convivial relationship with virtually every single government in the West, continues to participate in cultural events, if I can put it that way, like the Eurovision Song Contest, sporting events like UEFA and FIFA, European Championships, World Championships of every kind. Incidentally, while Russia is banned completely from all of them. So the big grave, deep grave of their own reputation, such as it was, amongst thinking people, there was no reputation to lose. But a large swathe of people who had deliberately averted their eyes from the horrors of apartheid Israel have now been forced to concentrate upon them. And it will never be glad, confident morning again. Not for Israel and neither for their enablers and facilitators, the famous friends of Israel, which infest every political party in every Western country. It will never be glad, confident morning for them either. People will dog their steps. Their role in this horror will follow them to their graves and follow them into their obituaries and follow them into their political memories and their history. And that's nowhere more true than in the United States of America. The state of Michigan is a no-go area for the Democratic Party, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. No one in Michigan wants to look at the face of the people who made this mass murder possible, who doubled down on it, who protected it in the United Nations, who proselytized for it daily at press conferences, in the press pit in the White House in Washington. No one wants to look at the face of the person who handed the weapon to the school shooter who massacred innocents hiding under their desk. What kind of people would they be if they did? The state of Michigan is central, critical to any possibility, however remote, of Joe Biden retaining the presidency of the United States. Biden's ratings have fallen again to the lowest rating of a sitting president awaiting or hoping for re-election in just a few months' time in the history of polling in the United States of America. Joe Biden's ratings are so on the floor that even Donald Trump looks good by comparison. Certainly the American people seem to think so. A national lead of 5% in the presidential opinion poll translates into a landslide popular vote and electoral college vote in November for Donald Trump. If I were Donald Trump, I'd be hiring me some Russian bodyguards because the only way they're going to stop Donald Trump now is with extreme prejudice, and I'm not making that up. And so Joe Biden will have sacrificed the Democratic Party 
for Benjamin Netanyahu, a man who treats him, incidentally, with unalloyed contempt, a man who laughs in his face when he sends Blinken blinking to Tel Aviv over and over again to ask if they can kill these children a little more quietly, a little more gently. On and on goes the war, says Netanyahu, even this evening amid talk of a temporary ceasefire. The British political class is bought and sold in total. I mean in total. Even the Green Party, even the Liberal Party, never mind the Conservatives and the Labour parties. They are all wholly owned subsidiaries, and I mean owned subsidiaries of the Israel lobby here in Britain. That much is obvious. How else can you explain other than the existence of compromat? And how could I possibly know about that other than the existence of videotapes of Peter Mandelson in bed with Wes Streeting, with Tony Blair taking the snaps, could possibly explain the unremitting, unrelenting, unashamed support by the opposition Labour Party, whose job is to oppose government policy, to expose it to scrutiny, to forensically examine it, have written a blank check to Rishi Sunak, which he's cashed in his blind support for every, every Israeli crime. Keir Starmer, a King's Council, formerly known as a QC, Queen's Council, a human rights lawyer, started this three-month quarter from hell by stating on television, on LBC, on video, you can see his lips moving, you can hear them coming, the words coming from his tongue, that Israel had the right to cut off water and electricity from 2.3 million people, even though as a Queen's Council, King's Council, he has to have known that such a thing would be a blatantly, brazenly illegal act under every law, British, European, international, Geneva Conventions, crimes of war, humanitarian law, every law forbids that which Starmer stated on television, Israel had the right to do. He kicked seven of his front benchers off the front bench, sacked them for daring to vote months into the conflict when tens of thousands had already fallen for maybe a little pause, maybe a little ceasefire. He still has not said a single word about the finding of the ICJ in The Hague that plausibly Israel was committing acts of genocide. The deputy leader of the Labour Party, Angela Ratner, 
Rainer, but I call her Ratna. She sure has trashed her own brand. Angela Ratner says on television that she does not know if Israel has committed acts of genocide. Well, if she does not know, she's too stupid to be the Deputy Prime Minister of Britain. And if she does know and is pretending not to know, she's too wicked to be the Deputy Prime Minister of Britain. Lastly, according to the Mail on Sunday, Britain's biggest selling newspaper, the whole of British politics now turns on me. A good friend of mine, a professorial friend of mine, John Bevan, said in 2003 that for a brief moment, Britain was polarized between Tony Blair and me. And now, according to the Mail on Sunday, I'm right back there again. Rishi Sunak is waiting to see if I can defeat Keir Starmer in the Rochdale by-election on the 29th of this month, and it may prompt a snap British general election. I didn't want my friends to show that, but mainly because of the grotesquely insulting caricature within. Now, I don't believe that Rishi Sunak will call a general election. Turkeys don't vote for an early Christmas. But I do say this. If I defeat Keir Starmer's Labour in Rochdale, it will plunge the Labour Party into the deepest possible crisis as scores of Labour MPs who might themselves then face defeat in whenever the general election comes will be battering down Starmer's door and demanding a change of direction on the issue of Israel-Palestine. That much I'm certain of. Fasten your seatbelts. We've got some great guests starting with the one and only Low Key right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. My good friend Loki, renowned hip-hop artist, a man of words which carry with them not just poetry but power, host of the Watchdog podcast and veteran political campaigner. Although 
He's a young man to be a veteran. He truly is a veteran, inveterate, indefatigable, low-key. Welcome to the mother of all talk shows. I don't know if you heard my uh, introduction, my my monologue, Karim, but the uh, the point I was trying to make is that a ceasefire is not enough. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I feel that pushing this slogan of a ceasefire from the beginning, um, while I understand how that happened, George, um, it was essentially um, working to obscure what is the British and US role in Israel's war in the region. They act as a trilateral security state. Britain has been sending arms, it has been sharing intelligence, it has a key logistics role in this war. The US, it's been revealed by The Intercept, even sent Air Force officers to help with targeting for the Israeli fighter jets. We know obviously Canada, Germany, um, um, Britain and the US are the biggest um, seller of arms to the Israelis in this war. So really, we have to have a clarity. There are mechanisms within the region to fight for independence against these powers. And it's important that those forces are given um, support and people understand the equation that we stand in front of at this time. A ceasefire is necessary, but not sufficient. And of course, uh, sufficiently insufficient that it's a guarantee that all of this will happen all over again as it has happened so often, even just in the 21st century, never mind going back the full 75 years. Absolutely. And we know um, how Israel behaves in all of these situations. You cannot trust a single promise that Israel gives. Many of the prisoners that were released in the prisoner swap in the uh, in the uh, first few uh, times where there were um, calm, there was calm, there was a, a form of truce and these people were released, Israel has rearrested many of them, even during the phase when they were releasing these uh, captives, these Palestinian captives in Israeli um, jails, they were arresting a larger number of the people that they released. So we really can't trust anything that Israel promises during these times either. And indeed, the, the rampage is, has stepped up in the West Bank. Uh, their crimes Absolutely. over the border in Lebanon. There's nobody talking about a ceasefire in the West Bank. Nobody talking about a ceasefire against the villagers uh, being uh, bombed and strafed in Lebanon. Absolutely. And and this is the nature of what Israel is aiming to do with the region. There are um, several forthcoming wars that will be launched. One of them will be over Al-Aqsa. Israel has been funding organizations with the stated objective of demolishing Al-Aqsa and replacing it with a temple that uh, these uh, particular Zionist fanatics believe to have existed um, twice in the last two to 3,000 um, years. We know that that's going to be a particularly um, serious um, confrontation will be caused by that action. And Israel is absolutely clear that it will carry that out. When you look at the way that these organizations have become entrenched 
within the state apparatus. It's even offered now an Israeli army investigation found for women who do not want to take part in conscription to become members of this organization, the Temple Institute, as an alternative. That's by the Israeli political entity. What you also have is no doubt the war with Lebanon, because of course, you are dealing with a very different enemy in Hezbollah. You are talking about a very well-armed, very well-trained, very well-organized um, uh, machine that Israel is determined to knock out. And in order to pursue that aim, it will, of course, implicate Britain and the United States even more in its uh, work in the region. Now, uh, Joe Biden, uh, in retaliation for the death of three American uh, soldiers posted in the deserts uh, near the Jordanian border, but indisputably in Syria, uh, Joe Biden launched another blizzard uh, of ordinance uh, against uh, at least two countries. I'm not sure if Lebanon got any of it, but Iraq and Syria were heavily bombed uh, by the United States. And it is alleged the Jordanians deny it, uh, that the Jordanian Air Force also flew on the raids attacking targets in Iraq. And Iraq has reportedly uh, retaliated uh, by stopping subsidized petrol fuel uh, going from Iraq to Jordan. Tell us your understanding of what happened and its likely impact. Well, ultimately, George, you have two key axes in the region. You have the axis of resistance and you have the axis of assistance. Now, the axis of resistance, it spans across Yemen, uh, Palestine, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, Syria also. In the axis of assistance, what you have is the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, and you've seen that axis of assistance be active in this war from the very beginning. So during the Islamic Arab summit in Riyadh, you had a draft proposal for an oil embargo and a restriction on the US using the airspace of Arab states to deliver weaponry to Israel. Now, the only states that voted against it were the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Saudi Arabia. You also have the way in which the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan have worked to provide a land bridge taking goods to the Zionist entity throughout this genocide of Gaza to find a way to circumvent the Yemeni blockade of the port of Elat. What you also have is Elbit Systems setting up shop. Uh, this is Israel's largest arms company in not only the UAE, where it has the Elbit Systems Emirates subsidiary, but also in Morocco too, where it's been announced uh, an Israeli intelligence base will be built quite close to the border with Algeria. Now, a UAE state-owned corporation by the name of Edge Group has invested um, $15 million in the Israeli drone manufacturer Highlander Aviation. Now, Highlander Aviation's technology is used to manage the Israeli airspace. Um, what we also know is that both Saudi security agencies and Emirati security agencies have used Israeli intelligence firms like the NSO group and Celebrite to spy on people and hack the phones of even their own citizens throughout the last decade. And in fact, the UAE deal with Celebrite, which actually hacks phones for the British police also, was brokered 
by the former head of Israel's external intelligence agency, Mossad. What we also know is that the Saudi-backed Affinity Partners hedge fund, which is uh, led by Jared Kushner, owns a stake in the Israeli uh, vehicle company, the Shlomo Group. Now, according to the Shlomo Group, they have provided um, Israeli uh, military units, the Shaldag and Maglan units, with vehicles and military equipment since October 7th. That's right. Saudi money in uh, this hedge fund has been used in the procurement of equipment for the Israeli military throughout this war. So the choice is very clear for people in the region. You have the axes, um, the axis of resistance, and you have the axis of assistance. Where do you stand? Yes, uh, and some surprising people find it surprisingly difficult to uh, uh, to, to make that dichotomy uh, work and to make the right choice in that dichotomy for all kinds of reasons, sectarian and otherwise. Uh, but what was the effect of what Biden did? Did the attacks on Syria and Iraq achieve anything in your view? Oh, absolutely not. In fact, it has um, strengthened the resolve of the groups in Iraq and Yemen, for example, you have had uh, literally Yemeni citizens filming the US bombing of their country and commenting on it while watching from a stone's throw away, saying, even if you burn the whole of Sana'a, we are with Gaza, with Gaza. So this is the overriding feeling within the region in a way it never has been before. There is a greater clarity about who the enemy is. And ultimately, the United States is speeding up its exit from the region. You know, in London, uh, George, just tonight, we had the um, unbearable uh, Douglas Murray attempt to fundraise for Israeli soldiers. And you know why his event was cancelled? His event was cancelled because the workers that worked the venue refused to staff it, even when they were offered triple pay. This is the extent to which people around the world are waking up and very, very clear about this genocidal war and regional war that the United States, Britain and Israel is launching on the area. But just so people have a little bit of clarity about who Douglas Murray is, let's remember that he worked for many years as a director of the Henry Jackson Society alongside the executive director, Alan Mendoza. Simultaneous to that, Mendoza is the president in the UK branch of the largest settlement building organization in Palestine, the JNF, where Netanyahu himself is a patron. Now, Henry Jackson Society historically shares funders with the Friends of the IDF, Illegal Settlements in the West Bank, and Tommy Robinson and Katie Hopkins. Its international patrons include the former Israeli ambassador to the UN, Dory Gold, Israel lobbyist Natan Sharansky, and former director of the CIA, James Wolseley. At least two Henry Jackson Society employees have moved directly from positions within that think tank to the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And you even have a senior research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society, uh, Gur Tassal Yachin, who was previously head of strategic war games at the Israeli Military Operations Directorate. He was also a spokesman for the Israeli Prime Minister and a media advisor to the Israeli Minister of Defense. Now, you would think that all of that 
would cast doubt on Douglas Murray's ability to work objectively as a host on Piers Morgan's Talk TV TV show. But he is actually somebody that has been very close to the Murdoch press historically. And one of the key signatories to the Henry Jackson Society's founding statement was Erwin Stetzler, an advisor to Rupert Murdoch for over four decades. So it's no surprise that Murray has been pushed so heavily on Murdoch platforms, including Talk TV. The simple fact is this, George, somebody such as yourself who has worked tirelessly for the Palestinian cause longer than I've been alive has been vindicated by these events. Somebody such as me who's been cancelled right, left and centre has been vindicated by these events. The Palestinians inside Gaza have more people standing with them than at any point in human in, in history of the Palestinian uh, struggle. Israel is more of a pariah, more unpopular all across the global south than it has ever been before. I'm into uh, all that and uh, a wonderful uh, overview of what we're up against. Uh, And, and of course, in terms of quantity, we are many and they are few, uh, but they call most, if not all, of the shots. How do you, what's your theory of that? Short of Ein, uh, Epstein having compromised all of them uh, and, uh, and videos of all of them being in the vaults uh, in Tel Aviv, uh, and I'm sure that that's not the case, uh, What's the reason why you simply cannot prosper in politics in Britain, France, the Netherlands, the United States, unless you are bowing the knee more deeply than any George Floyd protester ever bent the knee? You got to bend both knees uh, to Israel to in any way, never mind prosper, even survive. How do you account for that? Well, across these decades, George, Israel has been able to insinuate itself inside the security arrangements of both Britain and the United States more than any time uh, previously. There are really a myriad of ways in which Britain carries out services for the Israelis and the Israelis carry out services for the British. They outsource uh, to each other different ways of managing people. And also Israel is perceived as the global leader in management and manipulation and spying on of people because it has the guinea pig population, the laboratory of occupied Palestine. That's not something that other nations can easily obtain. And Israel has had it for such a long time. It's developed mechanisms of surveillance and control, which since 2012 and the Netanyahu policy that calculus tech reported was enacted, it has been exporting um, the quote-unquote genius of Unit 8200 and Unit 81 within the Israeli military outside um, to other countries in the guise of private companies. This is one of the things of the neoliberal era, George. Key state functions, as you know better than me, were outsourced to all manner of people. Even if you look at London's water system. Now, this is an absolutely crazy one that took place in 2011. London's water system is monitored by an Israeli company based in Tel Aviv called Tadaku. These individuals are alumni of the Talpot 
uh, unit within the Israeli military. Now, they receive information about London's water system and then pass it on to Thames Water, not the other way. And now this has been covered by the BBC. Everything I'm saying is repeated what's, uh, the, what the BBC has covered. I'm not necessarily attributing uh, malign intent by that arrangement, but what I'm merely stating is that the neoliberal era has opened up the space for these alumni of Israeli state institutions to have private companies that carry out the state functions in other countries. And in my personal opinion, when you have a state that is plausibly accused of genocide, um, you should be very careful about what aspects of state uh, function you, you, you outsource. But ultimately, George, we have a few ways of fighting back. One of them is Palestine Action, which has successfully caused 77 investors to pull out of Elbit Systems across the years of its um, involvement. It's caused the British Ministry of Defence to cancel £280 million worth of contracts with Elbit Systems. It shut down two Elbit Systems sites in this country. But another way to fight back is to put you in Parliament in Rochdale at the end of this month. We need you in Parliament kicking their ass the way you kicked their ass in the United States, the way you kicked their ass at Oxford Union, the way you kicked their ass on Sky News, we need that energy back in Parliament. So I would encourage everybody watching this, especially our brothers and sisters in Rochdale, to get out there and support George Galloway. This is not the Labour Party of Keir Hardy. It's not even the Labour Party of Ramsay MacDonald or Harold Wilson. This is the Labour Party of Tony Blair. We need to show resistance and we need George Galloway in Parliament this year. God bless you. Thank you so much, Loki, for a wonderful interview that will travel far, I believe. Thank you for joining us Thank on you, the mother Paul. of all talk shows. And I love the strip. Uh, hail, hail to all Celtic supporters. Remember, on Wednesday, it's at a new time. It's at the same time as the Sunday show, 7 p.m., UK. Now, the risen people era says Loki is a lyrical genius, probably a polymath at that. You know, I, I not quite as succinctly or as eloquently as you just have made that point at the launch meeting of No to NATO, No to War. Uh, I was, you know, I've heard a lot of speeches in my time, and uh, to be frank, I quite often zone out. Uh, because I have preoccupations of my own, and I've kind of heard uh, most people's shtick before. In, in, in the case of uh, Jeremy Corbyn, for example, I've been listening to Jeremy Corbyn speak for 40 years, so I don't actually need to listen to another Jeremy Corbyn speech. But Loki's speech on that day shook me completely out of the zone. And I said to him afterwards, you are like a Harvard professor speaking there. His grasp of detail and his lyrical genius, as you just put it, his lyrical genius plus grasp of detail, recall of material, is simply devastating. It's a double-barreled shotgun that blows away anyone who hears him. He was kind enough to say I should be in Parliament. He should be in it 
to Nino says Loki has been tireless. He's dealing with so much trauma day in, day out, like others, keeping us updated. He needs a rest. Thank you, Loki. Don't we all need a rest? But there's no rest for the likes of us. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Not only is Imran Khan behind bars effectively for the rest of his life, if you count up the prison sentences uh, that he has now been hit with following his illegal, unlawful, unconstitutional, and subsequently violent overthrow uh, and removal from office as the rightful prime minister of Pakistan. Now, his good wife is also behind bars. And now, adding insult to injury, they have issued a sentence of seven years additional imprisonment on both Imran Khan and his wife for illegal marriage. Illegal marriage. Turning the whole thing from a sordid, miserable, hateful chapter in Pakistan's turbulent history into a farce. First it was tragedy. Now I'm afraid it's farce. Our number one analyst and commentator on Pakistan is Adil Raja, the retired Pakistan army major, journalist, whistleblower, and all-round personality. Uh, major Adil, thank you for joining us again. It, it's gotten ridiculous now, hasn't it? George, uh, thank you so very much for inviting me to your show, the mother of all talk shows. Let me say this before I come to what you're asking, that it pains me since you've introduced me as a former major. I'm a third generation Pakistan Army officer. It pains me what the military hunter in Pakistan is doing right now. They're making a mockery of the entire system, the kangaroo courts of the country, which is now effectively a banana republic. You cannot really say any other word for that. They're ridiculing a guy who is a national hero, the most popular political leader. And he's not only that, he is, in fact, uh, the hero of the nation, the youth. He won us the only World Cup as a cricketer. He was our cricketing captain. He has been the hero of my country for three generations now. And uh, he was at the top of the game, his game always. He was at the top. He brought us the World Cup. Then, he became, in, uh, uh, became a prime minister after a struggle of 33 decades in politics when everybody told him not to go in politics and he still went in and he brought a change in mere three and a half year. The poor man in my country, he loves him so much. He prays for him day and night because he was feeding them. He made Pakistan a welfare state. His priority was the poor people of Pakistan and he was thrown out by the military hunter because they want their personal interest, uh, which they call them the, the personal interest, the strategic interest. But because of their personal interest, the military hunter in Pakistan, the generals, they've been compromising the national interest for 76 years, past 76 years. And that is exactly what's happening on the U.S. desires. Uh, and now the so-called cipher case, everybody knows it. He was thrown out. 
But now what's happening, it is in fact, you know, made a mockery of my country in the world now. This is how we, because the world is now looking at us and asking us that, is that how you treat your heroes? I mean, is this the way? They don't understand that what, how actually Pakistani works. Well, how actually, you know, they, they, they work on the U.S. desires. And so far in our culture, you, you must be knowing, George, that women have been sacred in our culture. We as Muslims in the Muslim world take pride in the fact that our women are protected. We don't make them work. We don't, we keep them in a, uh, in, uh, we keep them covered. Why we keep them covered? The picture you're showing right now, uh, Mrs. Imran Khan, Bushra Bibi, she is wearing a hijab. Why is she wearing a hijab? Because we respect our women. But that respect, That cover, that hijab has been torn apart, literally torn apart, but not only for Bushra Bibi, but for the entire population of Pakistan. The Punjab police went in, raided houses of respectable people, and they, they, they said that, well, your wife was involved in supporting Imran Khan. They arrested lady wives. They took away their hijabs and they, uh, they put them in jails for three months. And what we call in our country, the, the, the parda, the chadar and chardivari concept. That's what we call the four walls in which we protect our women. I mean, the Muslims have been taking pride of it. You know, that's what they tell you that we respect. We love our women. That's why we work for them. We don't send them out to work. And well, we respect them so much that we are keeping them in hijab. Well, all that, all that, the social fabric of the society of Pakistan have been torn apart by few greedy generals and few greedy politicians because of geostrategic interests as well. There are geostrategic interests involved, George. You know them very well. And right now, we have been fighting. We've been told, I'm now 46 years old, third generation, served 20 years in the, 22 years in the army. I've been told, my generation have been told that India is our enemy, whereas we understand that peace is the logical way forward. Imran Khan also wanted peace with India, but peace on equal terms. The peace on equal terms was the motive of Imran Khan as well. But India doesn't want that. And India is strategic partners with the US right now. And uh, the Indians want their, their puppets like they've got uh, in Bangladesh. Now they want another puppet in Pakistan. That's Nawaz Sharif. And they themselves acknowledge that they've got the political capital invested on Nawaz Sharif. They want to bring him to power. So the 76-year-old enemy is no more the enemy. The generals are looking for new enemies, by the way. That might not be the topic today. But they're looking to find new enemies because they have to justify their huge existence and their military-incorporated uh, military empire running commercial businesses and everything, George. But it really does pains me. Let me tell you that, George. I can feel it. I can feel your uh, pain. Um, the origin of all this is that when Imran Khan was asked in terms if he could be a reliable partner in the forthcoming schemes of the empire, uh, it was summed up in his famous reply, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They overthrew Imran Khan because he would not follow their orders, uh, uh, not least because it was not yet clear and open what their orders actually were. But they wanted a compliant blank check from the Pakistani leadership 
that whatever Pakistan was required to do, whether against Afghanistan or against Iran or against anyone else, that they would do when ordered to do so. Isn't that the base of all this? That you're very true, George. You exactly know what's going on. You've just summarized it. And moving forward, they did the regime change operation at the American behest. And now it's, it's public knowledge, even that secret cipher is, uh, I mean, it's out already. They did a regime change operation on the U.S., uh, one of the junior U.S. State Department officers, uh, you, you know, uh, dictation. Of course, he must have had that dictation coming from the very top, from the Biden administration. They did the regime change operation. They Afterwards, they did a false flag operation on the 9th of May last year. And in the pretext of that false flag operation on the 9th of May, after they violently arrested Imran Khan illegally, from inside the Islamabad High Court, the new people would react. So they they put in their own intel, military intelligence personnel in the crowds, in the mob, and they played with the mob mentality to their favor. And there were certain arson incidents, and they played it in their favor, and they, uh, you know, they, they, they formed military courts. They, in fact, court-martialed me as well, George, in absentia, announced 14-year rigorous imprisonment for me in absentia, a court martial like this have never been heard of. So they, they sentenced me 14 years rigorous imprisonment just because of supporting Imran Khan. They went in people's houses. They picked up their women. They arrested 20,000 PTI supporters. 10,000 of them are still, you know, arrested and they were put in jail. They denied bails for almost one year. Even women were denied bails. They uh, arrested Imran Khan. Obviously, they made so many, so many cases against him. They sentenced him to 10 years and 14 years. And now this ridiculous, you know, uh, ridiculous sentence. They're annulling his marriage. Imagine that. But this is all, this all was done This the, 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 to discourage the upcoming vote, uh, to discourage voters to come out. You know, Imran Khan's party, was not allowed by the kangaroo courts of Pakistan to contest the elections as a party. Imagine that the most popular party of the country was not allowed, is not allowed to participate as a party. The most popular leader of the country is not allowed to contest the election because they want an Indian puppet and his uh, and the military hunters lackey to join uh, to form a government. Why? And even then, Imran Khan is fighting back from jail. I mean, he's got their various, his party members are standing up as independents. And the military hunter, the generals, they're scared. They're scared. I'm telling you, George, they're scared like anything. I mean, I can confirm this. That what if the young voters who are, that there are 30 million young voters 30 million young voters who registered their vote just in last year. What if they came out? What if the voter percentage, they've already managed the election, George. They've already going, they've done pre-poll rigging. You know, whatsoever I'm telling you, that is pre-poll rigging. The kangaroo courts, including the Supreme Court, is with them. They're being handled by the intelligence agencies. The judges are with them. They have bribed the bar councils. You know, the generals are being bribed by the U.S. Let me tell that openly. The U.S. acknowledges that. The U.S. administration officials acknowledge that. They publicly state that we bribe Pakistani generals because we want to get things done. 
So we publicly, um, let me publicly acknowledge this, that the our uh, our judge, our bar councils were bribed, right? Our uh, lawyers and the uh, and the uh, and the courts were, you know, taken. Uh, they were handled uh, either through blackmailing or through, you know, uh, different levels of harassment. They've got their own judges sitting, their own favored, most favored judges sitting. If they don't like a judge, if a judge is honest, they get them posted out. They don't want them serving over there. They've got the highest judge working for them, you know, and these, that's why we call them the kangaroo courts. And that's not only me saying it. Don't, don't take my words for it. The World Justice Report says mm. that out of 140 countries in the world, the Pakistani justice system comes at 129th. Right. So almost in the last 10 now. So that that that's a, it's a bit old report. That's why it was 129. I'm that sure it is amongst the last two, three judicial systems right now, the way they're working. So, George, all this is designed to keep PTI out of power and discourage all these sentences, actually, the ridiculous sentence against Imran Khan. It is designed to discourage the voters in the upcoming vote after three days, we are going for a poll now. They tried the level best. They dragged this election for one year. They're not letting Imran Khan fight as a party, as I told you. But now they're scared of people coming out to vote for the independent candidates who are fighting the election for Imran Khan. But the critical, it's a critical vote. It's already been rigged. They're going to rig it. But still, they're scared that if the voter turnout, which has never been above 55% in the history of Pakistan, if it goes above 70%, well, the tables would be turned for sure. And they're scared of that. The power is scared of independent candidates everywhere. Major Adil Raja, thank you as always for a terrific rapid fire rebuttal uh, of the narrative of the tin pot dictatorship currently running Pakistan. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Taha Ahmad says, George is the Imran Khan of Britain. How very kind. Thank you so much. And uh, Road Gent says, remember when that bloke kicked Starmer out of his pub? Hilarious. It was indeed. My One of my best friends in the whole world comes up next. He's far away now. Don't get to see him much. Afsan Ratansi. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Uh, here's a Billy Do uh, from Steve. Galloway, why do you so vociferously defend the Palestinians' right to defend themselves, but on the other hand, vociferously support the Russians in Ukraine? Is it because you're a Russian asset? By the way, your fellow Russian asset, Trump, will never be back in the White House again and is soon to be a convicted felon. Biden will not even be the candidate and will soon be forced 
to announce his retirement at the end of this term. He says you can take this to the bank. Steve's obviously a well-placed fellow. Perhaps he's calling or texting from Foggy Bottom, perhaps from the CIA headquarters, perhaps from the Pentagon, maybe even the White House itself. But even if he's any or all of those things, he doesn't know more about what's happening in the world than the host of Going Underground, Afsan Ratansi. Well, I'm glad to say joins me now. Afsan, uh, what about that uh, message? Uh, we, it just rolls off our back, these allegations of uh, being Russian uh, agents. Uh, although uh, I do hazard a guess that most countries in the world would, maybe even including the one I'm sitting in, would prefer Putin as their uh, leader than the leaders that they've got now and the alternative leaders uh, that they are faced with now. Uh, Putin is actually rather popular in the world now, isn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure whether they'd uh, want Putin to run their country, although that's a bit like Letter to Brezhnev, isn't it? The famous 80s film when working class people from Liverpool working in a factory saw no difference between the poverty and immiseration caused by neoliberalism in Britain and no difference between being there and Soviet Russia. But uh, yeah, it, um, it, it does occur to me, actually, given that you're talking about everyone being accused of being Russian, that if Tucker Carlson has been spotted in Moscow, that explains why uh, uh, they ban Fox News in Britain, according to Ofcom. Uh, but they don't seem to realize Tucker Carlson has left Fox News. But clearly, yeah, it's not gone the way uh, NATO countries wanted. And um, and that's why you don't really see that much Ukraine on uh, NATO nation media, as far as I can tell, because I can tell you there are reports while this program is going out on air, your brilliant Moats program, that uh, some of those towns that you used to mention about why, why were uh, British... Uh, uh, why was Britain immiserating itself to fund towns like Kupiansk and uh, other ones uh, when people in Britain don't even know where they are? Well, some of those towns in the past few minutes uh, won't be in the news in uh, Britain or in uh, the United States. But I understand that uh, Ardivka is about to be liberated by Russia, uh, so they say. And most importantly, the uh, Forbes magazine is saying something about 500 tanks that are going to stop a crucial, uh, a crucial strategic point at which NATO countries in the proxy war used to massacre those in what was eastern Ukraine. That's what's happening right now. And uh, all ahead of this uh, uh, untold number of new billions going from the European Union to uh, attempt to trying uh, to try and kill more Russians in Western Europe. That's that's uh, what I'm seeing at the moment. Now, uh, Zelensky has fired uh, his head of state. It was uh, quite a tortuous <laughs> affair. First, he was fired. Head of the army. Then he wasn't. <laughs> now he is. Uh, Zaluzhny. Um, kind of risky firing your chief of army staff in the middle of a war, isn't it? Yeah, I, I got confused there. I thought you meant he's fired his head of state, meaning... Joe Biden, I suppose, Anthony Blinken, who runs Ukraine anyway, as far <laughs> I meant, as we can... I meant uh, chief of army, sorry. Chief of army, yeah. Um, yeah, clearly uh, Zeluzhny, who uh, 
did an interview in, uh, where was it? He did the interview a month or so back saying uh, it was a stalemate just when uh, uh, Zelensky was wandering around, uh, as he does, telling everyone that they were victorious over Russians in various uh, battles. Clearly, Zelensky didn't want uh, someone like Zeluzhny telling not even the truth because they weren't, there was no stalemate. The Russians were winning. And um, he tried to fire him in delusion. He said uh, no. And um, clearly the Americans can do whatever they want uh, in that country. So uh, they are keeping Zeluzhny on as far as we can tell. Yeah, Zelensky immensely unpopular, it seems. A lot of infighting going on. But, uh, you know, we mustn't forget the tens of thousands of Ukrainians that have sacrificed their lives for nothing, uh, for uh, this U.S. attempt, self-avowed U.S. attempt, as uh, Lloyd Austin, if he's still alive, the Pentagon boss said, uh, to to hurt Russia, not to save Ukraine. This was never about saving Ukraine. This was about killing Russians and attempting to weaken Russia. And as we heard over so many years that uh, Joe Biden saying they're winning and uh, generals saying they're winning, and it was all lies. And how many how many people have paid the price uh, for uh, what Joe Biden has done? Some people uh, won't understand what you mean by Lloyd Austin if he's still alive. This is an intriguing story. Uh, it's a little vignette, perhaps not of great moment. But where is the U.S. Secretary of Defense? Are we really expected to believe that he was in hospital and the president didn't know, wasn't informed? If so, that would take dysfunctionality uh, at the head of the U.S. government into the realms of the absurd. But he has not been seen for quite some time. He popped up this week, finally, to answer some questions. But, you know, Edward Snowden, who, thanks to Julian Assange, won his asylum in Moscow, told us everything is surveilled, everyone knows where... The White House didn't know where Lloyd Austin, the head of the Pentagon, was, the largest uh, military, he's the titular head, of of any military in, in the world. Lloyd Austin, the boss of the Pentagon, was a director of Raytheon. Uh, no doubt a blind trust has been put in his name so that uh, when he yeah. retires, he will get huge amounts of money from the mass uh, murder of Russians and Ukrainians that uh, is caused in Western Europe. And of course, the uh, plausible genocide, as the International Court calls it when it comes to uh, uh, the uh, terrible events in Gaza. So um, uh, I can't remember a time when the head of the Pentagon has gone missing, and yet no one appears to know where they are. Anthony Blinken doesn't know where he is, nor does uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, uh, that shows, as you said, complete dysfunction. All they can do right now, it seems, is bomb, aerially bombard in the middle of the night, uh, ancient capitals and ancient civilizations that are all around me here in Dubai, uh, bombing Yemen, uh, bombing Iraq, bombing uh, Syria, uh, just in the past uh, few days, perhaps bombing again now. That's what I wanted to ask you about next. Uh, what's the impact of that bombing? Uh, what's the military impact? What's the political impact? What's the impact on public opinion, in your view? 
clearly, um, in terms of military strategic impact, I mean, some say that uh, automatically when the United States used to bomb Syria, they'd always call Russia first to make sure that uh, U.S. aerial bombardment was just a show of uh, show of uh, bravado, uh, really, and make sure they weren't going to bomb Russians when they bombed in Syria. So to show how nonsensical they were, they terrify populations, of course, as aerial bombardment does. Uh, Yemen, obviously, it will have no effect except to raise insurance premiums and raise the cost of goods for everyone in Western Europe and the United States and cause inflation. Uh, there is no way, and Biden seemed to admit it uh, when he was caught uh, off camera, uh, being asked about what on earth the United States and Britain, <laughs> uh, Britain, which, of course, uh, was in Aden uh, so many years before murdering communists, um, so it, it obviously will have no effect uh, whatsoever on Yemen. On Syria, uh, it may help the uh, proxy de facto ISIS forces that uh, NATO nations have been supporting for so many years. The Iraqis said as much. Iraq has condemned on the other side of the border the bombing of Iraq over the weekend. Iraq doesn't want the occupying forces there. So again, this will uh, raise... And this is these are Iraqi government elements that are not necessarily as allied to the popular mobilization units in Iraq. So certainly the effect of the British and American airstrikes has been to unite the entire region once again against these NATO powers for mass murder and, of course, the, the main issue in this region and arguably in all regions of the global south, even whilst uh, NATO nation propaganda media tries to hide it, which is this genocide in Gaza, the Arab League-backed South Africa's uh, claim and uh, suit at the International Court of Justice um, I think you said on your program, you had people say it was actually the International Court of Justice that was on trial. So I can't remember it ever delivering anything good. And I know opinions vary on this, but how that international court could not have called for an immediate ceasefire as demanded by South Africa and the Arab League, which is after all, all these countries in the Arab world, how it could not have done that shows the shame of the international court uh, forever. What about a ceasefire, Afsan? The uh, talks are going on not that far from you uh, in another uh, Gulf state. Uh, they say, they've been saying actually for 72 hours now that some kind of ceasefire uh, was uh, imminent. There's no sign of it. In fact, the killing right now this evening is reaching fever pitch. Uh, in Khan Yunus and also in Rafa. Uh, and of course, the human debris that is now exposed in Gaza City, now that the Israeli forces have withdrawn, we keep talking about people being under the rubble. We hadn't quite factored in that some of those under the rubble would be evidence of Second World War level style war crimes. Uh, is there going to be a ceasefire? And if so, what will that achieve until the next round of uh, violence and counter-violence? Well, Anthony Blinken is due here in the next few hours in this region. It's amazing, I think, to that so-called Arab street that people used to always talk about, uh, that he can uh, walk about freely 
obviously under bodyguard, to the West Bank, where he's also due to go as well as to Egypt and Saudi Arabia and other countries and to Qatar and so on. Uh, these uh, rumors of ceasefire, where do they come from? It's the State Department stenographer press releases being repeated and regurgitated, giving false hope to so many people. Um, I suppose the grim reality is that when the killing exponentially increases, and yet it seems to every day and every night, we would expect a ceasefire. And just before something had been negotiated, they will murder even more babies, even more children, even more pregnant women, even more uh, men, civilian men. Maybe, maybe that's a much better indicator of whether there's going to be a ceasefire, because certainly resistance groups on uh, X are uh, certainly not saying that there is any imminent uh, ceasefire of any kind. And so, um, I mean, this comes at a specific time. You said that Saudi Arabia will be joining BRICS. Uh, the Palestinians uh, have found themselves in a very difficult uh, uh, position because, you know, Russia came to the aid belatedly, some would say, to those in eastern Ukraine suffering at the hands of NATO's proxy forces. But who will come to the aid of the Palestinians militarily? I know Yemen uh, has, but uh, uh, Russia and China can't, no matter what Russia and China try to do with the UN Security Council. And the UAE, indeed, calling for a ceasefire, tries to do. So um, it'll be a case uh, I think many people grimly see. And in the Arab world, it must be seen as this, they're helpless. I mean, and uh, Joe Biden and uh, Western Europe are, apart with a few honorable exceptions in Western Europe, uh, showed their, the depths of their depravity by uh, cancelling money for the United Nations Relief and Workers Work Agency, the only agency that is is giving aid through the rough crossing uh, in, in a concerted uh, scale. I know the UAE and Saudi Arabia are uh, doing so separately. So, so the situation has never been more grim. And I think the International Court of Justice needs to be put on trial uh, for allowing this to happen. Well, Israel was given one month uh, to comply and to report back uh, to the court. What I'm hearing is they're not even going to turn up. They've just treated it with complete contempt of court. And uh, maybe they were right to do so in the sense that a court which cannot and will not even try uh, to uh, impose its verdicts uh, probably isn't worthy of that much respect. Plausible genocide. What You just take it back to Nazi Germany. What, they just said uh, Auschwitz was plausible genocide, uh, let the Nazis come back to us in a month's time. I mean, this is absolutely beyond, uh, be beyond belief of any kind. And we know how weak they are because famously uh, United States officials said, if ever there were war crimes charges at the ICJ. Or was that the ICC? I get them both confused because so obviously biased are both. they against the global South. Uh, the Americans said they would invade Holland and, what, murder all the judges. I mean, this, I, mean I presume that's what the United States meant when they said if there was ever a verdict against the USA, which is not a signatory in any case. It is, in fact, an act of Congress called the Invasion of the Hague Act signed by the president. It is American law that if any American citizen is arraigned at the ICJ or the ICC, either, both of them in The Hague, 
that the United States has the legal power to send in the Marines. I promise neither of us is making any of that up. The mighty Netherlands Navy. Our aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth, well, is doing so. Uh, that's something I had omitted to mention. I don't know if it was uh, deeply concealed, national armor proper, uh, but as you raise it, let's tell the viewers, Britain's flagship aircraft carrier headed for the NATO war games broke down in port and will not now be going. It's Gilbert and Sullivan, isn't it, Afsan? Off the, uh, I can't remember which uh, operator that is. That's off the back of the famous picture of two warships colliding with each other recently. Again, all these warships kind of co-conspirators of the genocide. And I know one thing, if you win the Rochdale by-election, Sunday Press, uh, even here in Dubai reading it, I can see them all saying uh, George Galloway will never win. Uh, if you win, I'm pretty sure you'll be asking why $3.8 billion is, uh, or is it pounds, spent on an aircraft carrier that doesn't work. Wouldn't the $3.8 billion have been better spent, some of it, on those people in Rochdale uh, who desperately uh, have been immiserated over decades of lack of public investment in their health care and social care and, and uh, housing uh, for, for so long? You bet. Afsan, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Much obliged to you. Paul Meany says George Galloway is an international hero against the genocide and Holocaust of the Palestinians. He was instrumental in bringing, uh, in South Africa, bringing the ICJ case against genocide, Israel, US, NATO, and would make a great MP. I'm very grateful uh, to you uh, for all of those kind words and thoughts. Uh, I thought the show was marvelous tonight. I hope that you did and that you will join me uh, on Wednesday uh, for the midweek moats which will be, as I keep saying, a new time, same time as this show, 7 p.m. UK. Uh, the uh, sense of crisis in the world has not dissipated, but intensified. When the American planes are in the air, and whoever was with them but doesn't have the courage to say so publicly, when the cruise missiles are flying, uh, then whatever pre-warning has been given to whomsoever, uh, the terror, horror, uh, is uh, very difficult to forget when you've been under it. I, myself, have been under aerial bombardment uh, many times, one of them live, uh, well, not live, but recorded by ITN News, uh, which put it out that very night uh, in uh, Eritrea. Uh, and the... The sheer terror of being bombed, of bombs falling from the sky, uh, of pressing your nose uh, into the dirt, hoping that you can get a millimeter, a centimeter lower uh, than you were a minute ago, uh, and the horrifying explosions and the, the horrifying agony uh, and the shrieks of pain as red-hot, razor-sharp steel and sheets of flying glass uh, suddenly fill the air everywhere and cut, lacerate, savagely cut down people, whomsoever they are. In the case that I'm talking about, all of them children, all of them girls, filmed, 
dying on a makeshift operating table. In fact, a table tennis table uh, by Desmond Hamill, uh, God rest his soul, of ITN News, uh, moments after it occurred, uh, is something never to be forgotten. I've been bombed by Israeli uh, bombers in Beirut many, many times in the 70s and 80s, dozens of times. I have lain flat on the ground as the uh, actual bombardment or the fear of bombardment, the sonic booms of imminent uh, bombardment terrified all around us. So I have a very personal experience of all of this, the horror, the terror of cowards who wouldn't dream of getting out of their F-16s, F-35s, and fighting man-to-man on the ground against people more motivated than them is uh, something that invokes in me the the strongest feelings of rage, of rejection, and of anger. And wherever I am, whether it's only here on the mother of all talk shows, whether it's on my Patreon chats with my uh, Patreon followers, which I do every day, uh, whether it's on uh, the streets, public rally, for example, uh, on uh, Saturday next uh, in Rochdale outside the town hall, I'm the main speaker in a rally uh, against the war on Gaza, uh, whether it's at the public launch of my election campaign on Tuesday night, which will be very well attended indeed, I think. Uh, hundreds of people will come for that launch, and unusually we can accommodate them because it's a very, very big space, and it needs to be. Uh, the, uh, the venue is Crawford Street, in Rochdale at 6 p.m., uh, 7 p.m., rather, in Crawford Street in Rochdale on Tuesday evening for the official launch of my campaign. So the campaign isn't yet officially launched, and yet, according to the Mail, on Sunday, the whole of British politics is going to depend on the outcome of it. Well, we've had three great guests. We've had great calls. We've had a pretty overwhelming poll Let's see if we can do it all again on Wednesday. I'll be there. Will you? And if you will, why don't you bring another viewer with you? That way, we can grow and grow the global university of the airwaves called Moats.